Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I, that keep what I have committed to him until that day. Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me, in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. That that good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. This you know, that all those in Asia have turned away from me, among whom. Um, Phygelus and Hermogenes. The Lord grant mercy to the household of, of Anisiphorus, for he found or often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you know very well how many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word, and we're grateful that as we turn to it, we know that you went through so much to bring it to us, from the writers to those that um, copied it, to those that preserved it. So many people gave their lives to that. And so we are grateful, Lord, that we have this word of God that we can turn to at any time for all the purposes that you intend uh, uh, for us in it, Lord. And so right now as we study and look at these verses and look into your word, we pray that you would illuminate it to our hearts by your Holy Spirit. We pray that he would be our teacher. We pray, Lord, that we'd be willing to obey whatever it is you want to speak to us in your word. We're not interested in a, in a mental exercise. We're, we're interested in you, Lord, and we want to engage you, and we want to engage you through your word. And so we, we yield our hearts to you, in every way that we know how. When we commit this time to you, we pray you'd set it aside for your holy use, and we all agree in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. A couple weeks ago, we started this book uh, in 2 Timothy, and what we learned as we began, as we started looking at the context of the book, is that Paul is writing this letter near the end of his life. He's in prison. He's already been incarcerated so many times. He's already been imprisoned so many times, been beaten so many times, shipwrecked. uh, You name it. Paul has hit it in his life, in his calling. And now he's at the end of his life. And you would hope that that the Apostle Paul would be be able to spend the end of his life, uh, you know, as we would might imagine, you know, uh, somewhere on the beach somewhere, relaxing and being rewarded and blessed and, you know, for all the sacrifice that he 
uh, had made for the Lord and just, you know, that the Lord would bless them. Don't you want sometimes just to be able to think, wish you could change history and just, just bless Paul. Just bless him. Have him a little, a little window of blessing for a while in terms of just his circumstances. But that's not God's, that wasn't God's portion for it, the Apostle Paul. And Paul was totally fine with it. And so as we saw last week, Paul in, in chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 said, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. This really is Paul's last writing to Timothy that we're aware of. He had wanted Peter to come visit him. We don't know if that ever happened. And so we have to assume that this may be the last correspondence that Paul had with young Timothy. And so he's finished his race, and now he wants his last words to Timothy to kind of facilitate this passing on of the baton related to ministry to Timothy. And so he wants to say these things that are dear to his heart. And as I mentioned a couple weeks ago when we started the book, what do you say to someone that you care about when you're on your deathbed or you're near death? If you've been given the opportunity to know that you're about to die, and not all, not all of us get that opportunity, but if you've been given that opportunity and you have your loved ones around you, you say the things that are the most important to you. You say the things that are vital, the things that are critical, the things that you don't want them to forget. You want to leave them with something so important that they'll, that's the last words that they hear from you and they remember those things for the rest of their lives. And that's what Paul is doing with Timothy. And so what are the things that Paul speaks about? What are the things that he shares and offers to Timothy that are the most important things that he wants to say to Timothy? Is he, is he going to speak to Timothy about his comfort, about Timothy's comfort and living a comfortable life and ease and, and prosperity and all these things that so often are the subject of many Christian books uh, but have nothing to do with God's word or the reality for, for our lives uh, so often? No. He's going to speak to him about Timothy's character. And as we saw in 1 Timothy, he spoke supremely about the church and how the church should function. And that was used by the Lord in, in, back then and today in the lives of God's people to encourage them about what a church is supposed to look like. But this is a little bit different. Timothy now is being instructed regarding his personal character. And it isn't that he didn't cover character back in 1 Timothy, but he's really focusing on godly character. Paul knows that the most important thing that he could ever communicate to Timothy is his own walk with, the God, own walk with God and his own character and how much that would matter. And that's important because so often character is put on the back burner, so to speak, or not focused on as much as it should, especially with leaders. So often the emphasis is put on how well they speak, how charismatic they are, uh, what their education is, what their background or pedigree is. And so often we're not focusing on that which God focuses on in Timothy and Titus, and that is character. But it not, it's not just for leaders, it's for all of us. Who we are related to our character matters more than what we do for anybody. Our character represents God. God tells us to share in his holiness. He said, be holy for I am holy. That's the only attribute that I'm aware of that he asks us to, to share in and, and, and into the, to the extent to which we can. And so he says, I want you to be holy. I want you to have godly 
character. But he's speaking to Timothy in the context of difficulty. He's speaking from a context of difficulty, but he's also speaking to Timothy in a context of, of difficulty because Timothy's going through a lot himself, and he knows that. But it's not going to get any easier for Timothy, and Paul also knows that. It's going to get very difficult for Timothy. And so what Paul's going to do as we look at these verses and finish out the chapter this morning is to be bold, to be bold and stand up for the gospel, to be bold and to stand up for the things of, of, of God and to not be ashamed of those things. And just, because he's already just spoken to him about God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. And he's done so in the context of Timothy using his spiritual gift. Timothy was afraid to use that spiritual gift. Fear is an emotion. And God tells all of his children to test their emotions by the word of God. And when my emotions don't line up with God's word, I need to submit them to God's word. That isn't being fake and that isn't acting. It's, it's being biblical with my emotions, just encouraging my heart in the Lord and saying, my emotions are telling me one thing. God's word says another thing. I choose to submit my heart and my mind and my will and all those things to God's word. And that's why it's important for us to know God's word. You can't submit your emotions and your mind and your heart to something you don't know anything about. And so Paul is going to encourage Timothy to stand strong and to be bold. Now again, as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, there were those that were leaving the ministry. There were those that were leaving and departing from the faith. They were, they were uh, leaving Paul. Paul's going to say at the end of the book uh, that basically everyone's deserted him except a few people. And, and so he, we have to recognize that that's another thing that Paul is dealing with related to Timothy. Paul knows that Timothy's going to be tempted to quit. Paul knows that Timothy's going to be tempted just to say it's not worth the aggravation anymore. This persecution's heating up. The difficulties are heating up. There's prices that people are paying for staying true to the gospel and to, and to stay strong in the faith. And Timothy's very vulnerable, especially being, having a proclivity towards fear, in staying faithful to his calling. And so Paul is speaking into all of those things. Now he begins in verse 8 by instructing him to not be ashamed. He says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Now what's the testimony of our Lord? The testimony is what he accomplished. It's his death, burial, and resurrection. That's what Jesus came to accomplish. That was his ministry. That's the ministry of the Messiah that was prophesied in the Old Testament. Jesus fulfilled all of those things. So he says, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Now you put yourself in the early church. You put yourself in that context. And you put yourself in a situation where Timothy might find himself where people are hearing about the gospel for the first time. And he's, Timothy's trying to explain to them, there was this, this God-man that came, and he was crucified. He was, he was uh, considered by Rome to be a criminal, and he was crucified. And the person listening, okay, you're wanting me to put my faith in someone that was a common criminal for, you know, related to what Rome believed, and you're saying he rose from the dead. Okay, okay, I get this. I'm weighing this out. Uh, and, and how did you hear about this, Timothy? Um, well, I heard it from a man who's in prison now. <laughs> oh, okay, so you want me to follow a man that uh, was considered a common criminal, and you heard about it through a man who's currently in prison. 
Now, you could see from Timothy's perspective where that could be very tempting to, to be ashamed of, the, of that reality because that is the truth. God worked in that way. He provided in, in that way. That was God's plan. And, and God would have an incredible plan for Timothy related to being persecuted and suffering and all of that. And so here's the context. And so Timothy is having to proclaim these things also in the context of a Greek culture that venerated and respected philosophy. And it had to titillate the ears and it had to impress the mind. That's the culture. They, they esteemed these philosophers so highly. And it didn't make sense to, to them that God would work in this way. And that he would choose to save mankind in this way. But you know who was completely fine with it was Paul. <laughs> and of course, that came as a result of God being okay with it. But Paul was, was completely fine with how God had set it up and how God chose to save man. And he called it foolishness as, as far as those that were perishing. I want you to hold your place here. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And I want us to see from Paul's perspective by the Spirit what he believed about God allowing the gospel to be the means by which mankind is being saved and that God wasn't too concerned about people having a bad reaction to it potentially. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, let's begin reading in verse 18. He wrote, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. It's foolishness to those who are perishing. Paul has already stated that. He doesn't, he doesn't, he's not worried about it. He isn't concerned about it. God isn't concerned about it. And, and it's interesting that we get concerned, don't we? When we think about the gospel, we think about if people are going to receive it or not, if they're going to believe the gospel, we get worried about what their reaction is going to be. And we worry and fret sometimes, wring our hands, potentially. Are they going to listen? Are they going to think it's foolishness? What if they think it's foolishness? God isn't worried about if they think it's foolishness. He isn't concerned if they, it's a stumbling block to the Jews. Because they have to admit that, that their righteousness isn't good enough to, to make it into heaven. And all their heritage and all those things, ultimately related to their own personal righteousness, do not get them into heaven. That's why it's a stumbling block. But to the Gentiles, it was absolute foolishness. And God's fine with, with letting the whole world know, if you think you're so smart with your philosophy and your wisdom and your education, you didn't stumble across the plan of God that way. And, and so I'm not impressed with what you think. That's really the most important thing, isn't it? What does God think about the plan of salvation? What does God think about the gospel? 
We need to supremely think about what God thinks about the gospel when we're communicating the gospel to somebody. Not what we're thinking that they're going to, you know, uh, come to a conclusion over. And so it's important for us to see that. And I think Paul's drilled that home so clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, but he's reinforcing those things uh, in Timothy's uh, heart. Now turn back to 2 Timothy. And, And he also says in verse 8, for Timothy to not be ashamed of Paul's imprisonment. So there's this stigma with someone being in prison. We know that. And so he says, don't be ashamed of me. Now, if Paul wouldn't be saying these things if Timothy wasn't, didn't have the potential to be ashamed of the gospel. And, and he didn't have a, a potential to be ashamed of Paul in prison. Again, you have to put yourself in Timothy's situation. Timothy is concerned about maybe the approval of man and what they think about how God has set everything up. But God's not ashamed. And so Paul is saying, don't be ashamed of the gospel, but don't be ashamed of me either. Because I am in prison because of that very gospel. And you shouldn't be ashamed of, of, of either. Now, Paul mentions himself as a prisoner of Christ. Did you catch that in verse 8? His prisoner. Notice he doesn't say, I am Rome's prisoner. And we could pass over that. But, but Paul did not see himself supremely as a prisoner of Rome. He saw himself as a prisoner of Christ, not in the sense that he's being punished by Christ, but that God is in control of his circumstances. And remember, he's in a dungeon. He's in that Mamertine dungeon there in Rome, horrific environment with you know, hardly any, any uh, food and water and human excrement around. And, and it was just, I mean, if you go there today, I've seen pictures of it, it's very much sanitized. It's, it wasn't a, que- a squeaky clean little dungeon. It was, it was horrific. And that's the place from which Paul is writing to Timothy here. Then he says, I am the Lord's prisoner. Because he saw himself, and you look all through the book of Acts, when they were, whenever they were in prison, they always saw God as the one that was sovereign. Some of the greatest passages of, of God's people expressing God's sovereignty and his control is when they're in horrific circumstances and even up to being in prison in, in the New Testament. And they, they even say, Sovereign Lord. They're acknowledging that God is sovereign. And when we're in a very difficult situation, when we are suffering because of the stand that we're taking for the Lord, whether it be in our family or our places of work or school or wherever we find ourselves, for us taking a stand for the things of the Lord and the gospel and we're standing bold, uh, standing boldly there before people and saying, this is what I stand for, this is what my life's about. And when we get persecuted or rejected as a result of that, we need to remember that God's the one that's, that's ultimately in control of the situation. And if he wanted us to have a different situation, we would. Paul knew that if God wanted him out of that prison, he wouldn't be in that prison. He knew that. But God was going to use it then, and he's using it even today in our lives as we study the book. And he'll use it in the future till the Lord tarries in the lives of God's people to show them that God is greater than all of their circumstances. They can have joy and peace and victory and be more than conquerors in the context of a very hard, difficult situation that we find ourselves in as a result of our our walk with the Lord. He doesn't stop there, though. He says also in verse 8, he says, But share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. I could see Timothy saying to Paul, Okay, that's okay, Paul. This is 
This is one time where you don't have to share. You know, we say to our children, make sure you share now. And I could see Timothy being very content. Okay, Paul, you take those, you just, you hoard those sufferings for yourself. I don't need any. I'm okay. I'm good. You don't have to share with me. But Paul's saying, no, I insist. I really do need to share sufferings with you. You need to take part in these things. And the, 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 the backdrop of all this is that Timothy could reject sharing in the sufferings. And that's exactly what's happening with these other leaders that he's going to talk about in a moment. And he refers to at the end of the book. They weren't willing to share in those sufferings because they wrongly concluded that God's blessing and God's will for my life isn't possible in the context of being uh, going through difficult situations. Those things don't go together. The Word of Faith teachers today say there's no way that you could suffer in, in, in many ways and still be blessed by God and still be in God's will. And Paul says, no, that's not true. But, and these leaders, these other leaders that were leaving, they believed that. And, and uh, Timothy was at great risk of saying, this isn't worth the aggravation. I'm just going to throw in the towel and I'm not going to share in these sufferings because I'm not going to take a stand for the gospel anymore. And in this world, as things get worse and worse and worse, where there's more and more pressure for us to cave, to cave about the, that Jesus is the only way to salvation, to cave about you know, what, how God defines marriage, to cave regarding all these things that the, 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 there's all this pressure on us. and It's not going to get anything but worse. We have to recognize that God still called us to be faithful, to stand up for that gospel and all that it represents. He's not given us the option to, to cave on the standard that God has set forth related to how he saves people and his will for the lives of his people. He hasn't given us that option. So he's saying, share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. He's, notice he says, for the gospel. That these sufferings are to facilitate the expansion of the gospel in the world. And that's true in our own lives. Sometimes we don't face persecution and especially in this country. And I still believe that if we live a godly life, he's going to tell Timothy, those that desire to live a godly life will suffer persecution. Part of living a godly life is obeying the Great Commission. And if we're not obeying the Great Commission, and all of us fall short at various times, we're all in the same boat, then if we're caving on that and not preaching the gospel, then what do people persecute us over? What is there to get mad at us about? And if we live our lives just like everybody else, our lives don't look different, our lives aren't convicting to other people. There's no reason to, to persecute us. So it's a good mirror for us to consider, am I preaching the gospel? Am I living a different kind of life? Because that's the kind of life that people use as an occasion to persecute. So it's very searching for us. But he says, the way that we suffer, the way that we suffer for taking a stand for God in our spheres of influence, notice at the end of verse 8, he says, uh, the power of God is the, is the means by which that happens. God knows we don't have the power in our own <laughs> anything to suffer well. We can suffer poorly. I bet you I could suffer poorly better than anybody. But to suffer well and to do it in a godly way and do it in love, because without love it won't count for anything anyway, to not return evil for evil, to turn the other cheek, to walk the extra mile, all these things that he says for us to do, and he said those things in the context of the Roman Empire, <laughs> we, we, it takes the power of God. We can't do that in the power of our own strength. That's why when we sense that we need God's power to be able to stand strong in the context of persecution and difficulty, we have to ask. We need to ask to be refilled over and over again through the book of Acts. When they were persecuted, they came together and they called upon God. 
And they asked to be refilled. And God answered that prayer some of the time, most of the time, all the time. God answered that prayer every single time and gave them boldness. Jesus said that the baptism with the Holy Spirit, was the purpose of it wasn't to speak in tongues. The purpose of it was to, to be a witness to him in, in uh, Jerusalem, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. So he gives us power to be bold for him in proclaiming that he is who he says he, 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 is, who he, says he is, and that he died and he rose again the third day. That's the power that he gives us to stand up for the truth. So it's not by our own power whatsoever. You ever watched a Christian suffer? I think we all suffer, obviously, at times. But sometimes we see a Christian, what we would describe as really suffer. They go through something horrific. And we wonder, how in the world are they making it? And we don't realize that God's grace and God's power is available to them only for that circumstance because they're the ones that are really in that circumstance and not us. If we were in that circumstance, God would give us the grace and the power to deal with that. Now, of course, he needs us to and desires us, I should say, to, to pray and to stand with those people and so forth. But God has given us grace and to go through what we're going through. And, and we shouldn't marvel at that. We should rejoice in that. And so as we suffer, as we suffer for the gospel in our, in our lives that represent the gospel, God has available to us all the power and all the grace that we need. And he wants us to have confidence in it. Now notice in verse 9, Paul describes the gospel for which he's asking Timothy to suffer. He says, verse 9, Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Now, he's already mentioned in verse 1 the promise of life. And I mentioned he's close to death. He's thinking about salvation in the sense of the physical delivering from this world to the next with our new bodies. And he's thinking about that. And he says, he has saved us past tense and called us to a holy calling. The word holy means different. It means to be separate and to be different. And so our calling, best being saved and our calling to be holy, are interconnected and intermingled and, inter- and, and, and the same kind of package deal. And he knows that. So he's saying to Timothy, this is what you should focus on. You should focus on your calling and, and how that's a calling of holiness. That he saved us, past tense saved us, and that, that salvation saves us to holiness in this world, on our way to being physically in heaven one day. And then he adds, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. Which is interesting because we hear sometimes that we were so lovable that God decided to save us. And we hear that in Christian songs. There's even mentions of it in Christian books and so forth. But that's not the case. The, the origin of God's salvation or, or his motivation has its origin in him because the Bible teaches that he is love. It's not because we are so lovable. He loves us, but, it's not, it, but there is plenty inside of us to not love too. <laughs> uh, we are made in his image, but we, we're children of wrath. We are enemies. There's many different designations that we don't see on greeting cards too often related to how we are but before we come to know God. But after we come to know him, we're considered sons and daughters. And so he says, it's by his own grace and purpose. There's nothing in ourselves 
that merited it or deserved it. It's because he is sovereign. It's because he chose us. And it's because of his grace, not because of anything that he saw in us that saved us. And Paul, why is he going through all this? I mean, doesn't Timothy know all these things? He's reminding Timothy of how amazing this gospel is that he's telling him to not be ashamed of. And, and it's important for us to see as well because we can forget how, how amazing it is. We can lose sight of the fact of how amazing the salvation that we have received is. And so he says, you need to understand that. But he says in verse 10, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through what? The gospel, the thing that I'm telling you to not be ashamed of. Don't be ashamed of it. And, and it, this revealed, anytime you see the word revealed, it's usually the Greek word that means unveiling. It's like when you have a, a statue and you have a, it's, it's brand new and you have that little, you know, curtain over it. And at one point in time, you pull it away and then you see everything about it all at once. You don't get, it's not progressive. You don't see little bits and pieces of it. You, you see nothing and then you see everything. And that's how it was with the Lord Jesus. When he came to this earth, we didn't see him at all. And then we saw him, the complete savior. There wasn't any part of him that was, we were still lacking. It was everything that we needed. And so Jesus was revealed from heaven, and he accomplished that death upon the cross and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. In other words, we we could realize the reality of the gospel in him saving us because Jesus came and revealed himself and did what no other person in the history of mankind could possibly accomplish. Now that's an important message for us to bring to people. That there is no other Savior, there is no other one that was revealed. There was one revelation, there was one unveiling in, uh, in, in mankind's history. There's only one person who could abolish death and bring life and immortality to light through the gospel. There's only one gospel, one true gospel. And so that's the message that we need to stand firm on and be willing to suffer over. That's a little added part that's included in all this. We need to be willing to suffer because of our stand for the Lord. Verse verse 11. To which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. Paul again is reviewing to, to Timothy that his calling wasn't his idea. God is the one that appointed him. He wasn't the one that appointed himself. He didn't choose himself. He didn't call himself. Any self called leader is a dangerous leader. You have to be called by God to do what we're called to do. So he's appointed a preacher, and that means a heralder, someone that heralds good news, that's there to announce good news. An apostle, which means one who is sent, and a teacher of the Gentiles, which is interesting because Paul's background was, was obviously Jewish. He was steeped in, in Judaism. He was under the, the Gamaliel, that great Jewish scholar. And he was perfectly prepared to reach the Jews. But God didn't call him to supremely reach the Jews. Peter was the one that was more focused on Jerusalem and and Israel and so forth and the other apostles. But God had called uh, Paul to to reach the Gentiles. Now, he did use his background and and his cultural, uh, you know, things that he had in his life from his past. He used all those things. He was a Roman citizen. He used that. He could speak Greek. He used that. I mean, there's so many things that, that, that he used. He used his, his knowledge of philosophy and the arts and so forth in, in a lot of the ways that he approached unbelievers on the mission field. So he used his background. 
But he didn't use him how Paul would have expected God to use him. And that's important for us to see because we often come to the Lord and we think for sure he's going to use me in these areas because I have a background in those areas. And sometimes, and many times in fact, I've seen people used in the opposite way. And so often it has to do with God making sure that they're not self-dependent based on their experience and what they bring to the table and all these things. They put, he, God sometimes puts people in situations where they're not comfortable and they're not used to serving in this way, but they discover they have these spiritual gifts and that through the rest of their ministry, they have to remain extremely dependent upon the Lord in order to, to function and, and minister the way that God's called them to function and to minister. And, it, and it, what it does is it makes sure that their ministry is supernatural and it, and it brings God glory. So maybe one of us is called into a, a ministry we, we're not expecting to, to serve in. It's not our background. It's okay. God's okay with that because he's going to get glory through. And he's going to keep you dependent upon him as you serve him in that calling. Verse 12 says, For this reason I also suffer these things. What reason? Because he was appointed those things. The reason why he was, he was suffering in part is because he was appointed to be a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. So he's suffering. That's the reason why he suffer those things. And that's encouraging to Timothy because Timothy has a calling. And Paul is saying, because you have, just like I have this calling, you have a very similar calling. You know, in Scripture we're told that Timothy was an apostle. He wasn't one of the twelve, but he was an apostle. He was one that was sent. So he had a similar calling as the apostle Paul. And so what Paul's saying here is that I was appointed these things, you're appointed to these things, because of these things I suffered, because of these things you're going to suffer. Don't, don't uh, resist it, Timothy. And so he's really driving that home. And then I love the last part of verse 12. He says, nevertheless, I am not ashamed. Again, he's telling Timothy to not be ashamed of these things. For I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Now notice he doesn't say, I know what I have believed. He doesn't say that. He says, I know whom I have believed. Much more important. We can, we can be a theologian and we can know what we believe and, and all those things. But when you're realizing that I am believing a person, I am believing God and what he has said about my life and about my calling. And it's a one-on-one relationship that I have with him. And I'm taking a person at his word regarding what he said about something that's infinitely more weighty than some you know, content that I may believe or a creed or a doctrine and so forth. And what did Jesus say that he's believing? Because he's saying, I know whom. I know Jesus whom I have believed. What did Jesus say? What has Jesus revealed to him? Jesus has revealed to him that everything that you experience as a result of being faithful and not ashamed of your calling, in being an apostle, in being a preacher, in being a teacher of the Gentiles, that I will remember every single one of those things on that day. Now, two weeks ago I talked about multiple times he refers to this day. What is that? It's the day that he meets the Lord. It's the day that he hears from Jesus, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we're, all of us are aiming to hear. He doesn't say, well done, good and gifted servant, well done, good and talented servant, uh, you know, charismatic servant. He says faithful. All of us, because of the Lord's work in our lives, have the capacity to be faithful. And if I'm faithful to what God's called me to do, then I'm going to get the reward 
that someone else that, that does something that looks greater to me will get. Now, I've said this before. You can and I can get the same reward as Billy Graham. Because Billy Graham has a calling, a unique calling that's just, you know, unique to his life. And so if he's faithful to that, he's going to get rewarded. But if we're called to do something that many would think is infinitely inferior to his calling, but we're faithful to it, we're going to get the same reward as him. And that's very encouraging. So Paul knows that. He knows that all through his ministry, he has worked and he has served and he has sacrificed. He doesn't think that God owes him anything at all. He's not indebted. You know, he's not thinking that God's indebted to him whatsoever. But he knows that Jesus will remember those things on that day. And the day that he's speaking about again is when he sees Jesus at the, what we refer to as the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ. Not the great white throne judgment that happens after the thousand-year millennium, after the seven-year tribulation and all that, where the dead, the, those that were uh, not regenerated, that weren't Christians, are resurrected. They get actually a body to be judged and they're at the great white throne judgment, and their names are not written in the Lamb's book of life, and they're tossed into the lake of fire uh, with the devil and the false prophet and all that. That's not that judgment he's speaking about. This is when we as believers stand before Jesus, and we have to give an account for our lives. And we, we have to, we're judged on what we did for him in, related to the motivation, and if we were led by the Spirit to do those things. And those things that we're led by the Spirit to do and we, do in, we did in love, then we receive a reward for. Everything else is burned up. And the picture there is not just a reward ceremony. It's a, it's a sobering thing. He says that the, those that, you know, they'll make it through it if they, without getting any reward. They'll make it as by fire. I mean, that's not some, you know, perky little you know, a uh, cheerful situation. I mean, you're standing before Jesus. You have nothing to show for your life related to your ministry and doing things in the right motivation and love and led by the Spirit and all that. And you, and you make it through this process by the skin of your teeth, so to speak, in the sense of his assessment of that. Paul is saying, I'm remembering that day right now. I'm getting close to that day. And I know that Jesus said, I will be rewarded for those things and that he will remember everything and I believe it, and I trust. And he's bringing all this up for Timothy to say, look, all this suffering that I'm asking you to share with me in, there's an end to it someday, and there's a reward someday. We need to be reminded that this world isn't our home, and we're going to be with God someday, and this life is just a vapor. It's, it's here today, gone tomorrow, the Bible says. And, and so everything that we're about, everything that we're living for, everything that we're engaged in is working towards that day when we stand before God and give an account for our lives. And that church is supposed to produce a sobriety in us and, and having us live lives that are, that are circumspect in the sense of we're watching, about, watching what we're saying, what we're doing, what we're engaged in, and we're willing to stand up for the things of God and not be ashamed. It's very searching for us, and God wants it to be that way. He says in verse 13, Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and in and love which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. So he says, this is what I want you to do. Hold fast the pattern. That's the word for, that we get our word schematic. Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love. And then he says, the good thing that was committed or entrusted to you, 
that calling that you have. Keep by the Holy Spirit. In other words, abide in, in, in Christ. Allow him to cultivate those things in you, Timothy. Let him produce those things through your life. Guard them. Don't allow things that compete against that calling into your life that can, that can uh, shipwreck your faith, just like these other men that he's about to get to in a moment. Don't, don't be like them. Stay close to, to God. And then in contrast, he gets to these ones that have not done that. And, and he says, verse 15, This you know, that all those in Asia have turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. Now he says in the beginning of verse 15, as you know. This wasn't something that was a mystery to Timothy. He already knew that these men had given up there. So he says, you know the situation. I'm bringing it back to your remembrance. And I don't want you to be like these guys. And then he says, which is incredible in verse 15, the word all. Did you catch that? That all those in Asia have turned away. Wow, all? I thought it would just be some. No, all have turned away. Because they haven't held fast the pattern of sound words. And they haven't kept by the Spirit the things committed to them. But, you're, but, I, but you don't need to be that way, Timothy. You have a genuine faith. He just got done speaking to Timothy about his genuine faith and how much he thanked God for that faith, even in prison. And so he's saying, Timothy, you don't need to be that way. That's not what God would want for you. Don't be like these other people. You know, when people quit, when they walk away from the Lord and turn their backs on the Lord, we can think that, we're, that that doesn't affect us, but it, it can affect us. The enemy can take that in our lives and start working that over in our minds, and we can start being tempted, to, especially if it appears on the outside that that's working for them. That, they, that, that they're doing okay. And they, of course, they're doing everything they can to portray to everybody that they're doing fine. Doing fine, doing fine, doing fine, doing fine. It's like broken record. They, they're, they're trying to convince themselves that they're doing fine, but they're not. And God knows that. And, and we need to know it too. So he's, he knows that this is a, could be a temptation for Timothy to be ashamed, to quit, and to not protect these things that God has began in him. And so he warns us. Now, he says in verses 16 and 17, someone that didn't fall into that category. He says, the Lord grant mercy to the household of uh, whatever that guy's name is. For he often refreshed me and was not ashamed. I think it's like it's probably a onesie for us. You know, he was a baby. His, his mom, you know, dressed him in a little onesie and called him onesie for us. I don't know. But it's probably not, it's probably not pronounced that way. Uh, um, I don't even want to try it. It's just, when you're up here, it's 50,000 times harder to pronounce things. Trust me. <clears throat> but he says, the Lord grant mercy to this guy. That's what we're going to call him, this guy. Grant mercy to him. Now, again, I told you that the beginning of 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, in the greeting, he says grace, mercy, and peace. It's the only letters he includes mercy. He's writing to leaders, and leaders need a lot of mercy. And this guy was a leader, and he says, the Lord grant mercy to not just him, his whole household. And, and he said, what did he do? He said, he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. He was the very thing I'm telling you, Timothy, to, to be. He was not ashamed. He was bold. He didn't care what the potential repercussions were to coming and serving me. And, I've, and I'm so thankful for his ministry. And, and he says, when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously. That means 
taking chances that someone may find out that he's inquiring of me, which means to them that I'm just as bad as he is, and I eventually end up in prison. We are called to be an encouragement to those that are suffering persecution. I was encouraged by all the support that that Iranian pastor received from believers around the world who was imprisoned in Iran and was later released. We can't even imagine the encouragement that that was to him. So when we're facing persecution, we're facing difficulty because of the stand we're taking for the gospel and the truth of God's word, we need to be quick to come to one another's aid and to encourage one another and to pray for one another. We can't underestimate how powerful that is. Verse 18, the Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you know very well how many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus. Again, he says the word mercy. He wants, he's asking God to, to be merciful with him when? In that day. What's, what day is That's the day where he meets Jesus. To be merciful to him, to, to recognize, for the Lord to remember all that he did for Paul and to be merciful with him and to bless him with all the rewards that he could possibly have from the Lord as a result of it. And then he says, how many ways he ministered. Notice that. There's many ways to encourage and to serve people that are suffering persecution. God would have us to have creativity and to, to, to have uh, thought put into it. How we can encourage people that are going through difficulty because of their stand for the Lord. You know, and it should be said here, Paul was a, an apostle. He was a leader. This man encouraged and, and, and ministered to him. And we can forget that Leaders need ministering too. People can minister to leaders, and we can forget that. And I'm not saying it because I want you to minister to me. I'm just saying in the body of Christ, it's larger than here, obviously. We know other leaders in other contexts. Don't be afraid to minister and to serve them and to bless them because of their calling. I mean, they are doing it to us. We need to do it back to them. And we can underestimate how powerful it is. We can think that they really don't have that many needs or, or that it doesn't really make that big of an impact when I minister to them. It makes a huge impact to them. Every little word of encouragement you say to me, every time you pray for me, every time that you send me an email or a note or, or tell me that you're praying for me, it, it matters to me more than you can possibly imagine. I'm going to stop here before I lose it here. So, in summary, as we close, and it doesn't mean you close your Bible, just we're starting our descent, okay? God doesn't want us to be ashamed of his gospel. And by our lives, you know, if you were to ask Timothy, are you ashamed of the gospel? He'd say, absolutely not. It's more described as our actions. Us, us being ashamed of the gospel in our actions, not what our own testimony is about it, in a church, in a safe place where there's other believers around, it's the times when we're around non-believers and we, we purposely change our actions because we don't want to take the heat of standing up for the Lord or we don't want to take a stand for God's word in, in a spirit-directed way. And, and in that sense, we could be ashamed of the gospel or be ashamed of those that are standing for the Lord and are being persecuted. And God wants us to see the gospel that we carry around with us. Remember, he's told us we have the keys to the kingdom. We take, we take the, the kingdom of God with us everywhere we go. And as we are dependent upon the Lord's Spirit and proclaiming what he wants us to proclaim and bringing the kingdom of God to somebody, giving them the opportunity to enter into the kingdom of God, that's very valuable. And I think we underestimate as God's people the value of that. 
And what that can produce in my life is an apathy, and it can produce a, 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 you know, a laziness, maybe I should say, and I, and I exhort myself regarding how, how, much we're, uh, and how much we're putting our time and our energy towards the eternal things and the gospel. And if we don't value it, we're not going to see that we are carrying such a valuable thing, and God expects us to be good stewards of it. So it's a great exhortation for us. I know the Lord can use it in many different ways in our lives, and I, I trust that he will. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for your gospel. We never want to be ashamed of it, not just in word, but in our actions and the way we live our lives. Thank you that you have called us to holiness, to be different, and to stand faithful even when others are falling away. And, and those of us that know people that are falling away, give us consistent prayerful hearts towards them and not let it affect our lives, Lord. We don't want people not being faithful and turning away from you to affect anything in the stewardship that you've entrusted us with. So use these verses for that purpose. We're excited about what you have for us in chapter 2 next week. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.